0: We just we ignored her. We, we just walked away, embarrassed. Someone else came up and actually picked her up. And this morning, when I was thinking about my mum and Mother's Day, I remembered that. <laughs> that was downright mean of us, wasn't it? I'm sorry. Mum, thank you for putting Band-Aids on my knees when I grazed them, for feeding me, for praying for me in times of difficulty and for cheering me on. So, Happy Mother's Day, Mum, and all the other mums out there, same too for you. We had a really good regroup night on Thursday night, and if you missed it, there was a great cross-section of folk that were here talking about the the um, term ahead. So, um, if you missed out, ask someone about that along the way. Have a look at the Australian dream here because this pretty much well sums it up, doesn't it? I mean, what would Jesus do? He lived 2,000 years ago. Uh, Even if you're curious here this morning and you don't really know who Jesus is, I mean, if we're even asking that question, what would someone say who lived 2,000 years ago about the Australian dream, such a different culture to the environment in which he grew up? I mean, this is the Australian dream, a quarter acre block, and in fact, it's been around 70% for decades now of home ownership. The idea of having a house um, with a quarter acre block, and if you don't have the quarter acre, you just go up. You notice that these days? You just go up. You don't go out, you go up. Two story house, smaller block. And then but it's grown over the past decades. I mean, you can add one of these things along the way, this particular, that's our Toyota Hilux. I mean, it's brilliant. You want to have a, a car as well. And now we're into outdoor entertainment centres. Do you know that? That's because we love the bush in Australia. Love the bush. Never go there, but we can have an outdoor entertainment centre because it's out in the bush. You notice that? A bit ironic. We'll keep going. And then uh, if, if you're you know, really swinging from the rafters, you might get a boat or even then the idea of some excess leisure time. Excess leisure time, you might just go out on a golf course. Why waste your time? I don't know. But there's lots of people who will. <laughs> lots of people who will go out onto the golf course. I used to, when I was a phys ed teacher, they told us I had social sciences and they actually, we had a subject on this what is Australia going to do with all of its increased leisure time in, in 15, 20 years' time? And so as visitors, we were being prepared because of the onset of the age of technology was going to create all of this extra time for us. And so we had to fill the gap with, with productive leisure activities and we were going to fill that space how wrong we were. But this whole idea about the Australian dream, where does it come from? comes from this, that doesn't actually come from Lulu, but Lulu had, had this wild sort of dream as a Gen Y that somehow she was caught up in this successful story, that she was the special person in the midst of that amazing story in which she could pretty much feel like she was entitled to actually Get this Australian dream and without much effort. Why? Where did this come from? Well, it seems that Lulu's parents grew up in the 50s, 60s and 70s and in the, into the 80s, this unprecedented time of economic prosperity. Any uh, economist here, any accountant here would be able to say, you know what, the 50s, 60s, 70s, it was boom time. And so her parents grew up with this sense of optimism, this expectation that the simple rule, if you work hard, you will achieve success. That's pretty much how it went. Put in some work, achieve some success. And that's pretty much how it worked for that gen. Where did mum and dad get this from? Well, they had parents of their own. Our grandparents or great, oh, in fact, this is what the, the, the lawn would look like for someone who grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. You would anticipate putting some work, get a lush lawn like this. I mean, that was prosperity. Yeah. Where did this come from? It came from some grandparents who actually grew up and worked through and lived through the Depression and the World War. In fact, some of the older generation, you can see just on the outsides there, they're missing something, um, teeth. Um, They might even look back and say, wimps, because we had to work really hard. And there was this instilled sense that if you work hard, if you put in that effort, you will be successful. Challenge now, in these days, in this generation, that's not always so. You can work really hard and actually not get ahead. In fact, you might never realise the Australian dream and so we live in this conflict, sometimes happy, sometimes unhappy, but chasing this particular dream. You can understand then why a narrative might form up when it comes to understanding what is Jesus saying to me and even answering this question. What would Jesus do? Well, you can walk with him and watch him if you engage the Bible. You can talk and listen and pray. You can even discern and discuss with others about who Jesus is and what he might say to you. But if it's wrapped up in a cultural narrative that you're unaware of, it's really easy for you to start reinterpreting Jesus rather than allowing him to read you. So, I think the next one that comes up is that four encounters we want to cover with you over the coming month. Uh, Last week, we looked at the good despised foreigner and the question that was asked and I'd like us to form these four encounters, lock them in our minds so that it forms a framework for us so that when it comes to engaging the world and even asking this question, we've got four frameworks or encounters that Jesus had that we might be able to bring with us to understand God's heart and his idea for this world. The good despised foreigner is one. The question that Jesus was asked, if I love God, who else should I love? And the answer really Jesus gives is anyone and everyone, the person next to you. This week had Jake read the the good, gracious father. You know, the reality in Australia is that for many people, their mothers have also played the role of their fathers. Jesus has asked a question. Why are you befriending outcasts, Jesus? Why are you hanging out with prostitutes, tax collectors, people that if you hang around with, you might catch their sin, become contaminated? You might get dirty just like them. Why would you want to spoil your reputation? And so let's click one forward. Thanks. A Gen X person who's grown up with this sense of expectation might read or reread that story that Jake read that goes something like this Here's the boy. He's left home. He's spent things wildly on his dad's. Um, he's. Uh, uh, What what is it that you get when someone passes on and you get, thank you, that's the word? He might say this when he's in in a bad place, feeding pigs. He might say, this food is rotten. Even my father's workers get treated better than I do. My father rewards hard work. So, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father, one of those older generation, and do a deal. After all, he loves me. He did exactly what I wanted before I left. It's true. I blew it all I'm ashamed I've been found out. So I'll go home and put in some work before heading off again. After all, he treats the servants better than I'm being treated now. That's the land of expectation. What about a Gen Y who might come with an even heightened sense of expectation or entitlement? Might read something like this. This food is rotten. I deserve better than this. I know. I'll go back to my father and do a deal. After all, he loves me. He can't help himself. He did exactly what I wanted before I left. So what if I blew it all? There's more where that came from. I'll put in some work before heading off again. After all, he treats the servants better than I'm being treated now. I mean, When you try and get at Jesus, there's narratives that play in our head that read him and that reads you. And what you interpret when you're trying to get at this question becomes fundamental in trying to understand the story that you and I are actually caught up in. I was in Kitan a few weeks ago. And it was the Anzac Day parade. We left early in the morning to watch the dawn service. And they came to a stage in that particular service where someone from the front said, as everyone in the towns crowded around, someone actually said the words, Let's actually recite the Lord's Prayer, the Jesus Prayer. And I thought, This is interesting, I wonder. And as I stood there, I noticed that there were many people who actually just started to recite that, just from historical narrative in their head about engagement with God and maybe grew up with and had heard or maybe it had been recited to them and they could recite it themselves, just walking around reciting it. As I looked around, I wondered if many of them even knew what they were saying, but they were joining in. You know, if you asked the average Australian person, if you said, hey, what do you think about life and God and heaven? They might say something like this. You know what? If there is a God, I reckon that, uh, and if there is a heaven, I reckon I'm okay. In fact, I reckon if there is a God, He's good and I'm a good person, therefore whatever He's got that's good, I'm going to get when I go somewhere else, maybe after I've finished dying. And that might be then described as that heavenly place of a golf course or a two-storey townhouse on a quarter acre with a boat and a Hilux and an outdoor entertainment studio. That's the way in which we frame it. I think that's just the... And we have this powerful story where Jesus where Jesus is being asked a question about why he's hanging out with people who are on the margins. And Jesus replies by telling them one of the most profound stories that if we read it incorrectly, we shape it in our own image with a sense of entitlement. You see, effectively, a son comes to a father, a parent and actually just says, I wish you were dead. That's what he's asking in his culture. I wish you were dead. Will you go ahead and give me what's coming to me when you die and do it now, and he does extracts the will, divides up the land, gives him the cash, and he runs away and we kind of get the inkling, and the father knows that he 's going to blow it all, and he does in a few short months or a period of time. what happens is he's blown all of his inheritance and he 's caught up eating what a Jewish boy would never want to do. this is the lowest of low this is the most contaminated he can get he's feeding pigs, and he's actually so hungry that he likes the smell of the pods. You can't get any lower as a Jewish boy. And then what happens in this moment, he has a revelation of his dad, and he goes, you know what, even my dad treated people kindly. So maybe I'll go and leverage on that kindness, and I'll go back to him, and I'll do a deal. And so he does. And as he's walking back, the thing that, if his son had a return to the village, that if you lived in that culture, you'd have to understand is that that culture would say, when a son returned in such disgrace, the father would have to discipline him in front of the whole community. But he doesn't. The story says that he, the father sees the son coming and he does something completely unexpected. He runs. And as he runs to him, he embraces him. And the words kind of fall out of the young boy's mouth. He says, Dad, I'm unworthy to be called your son. This is what I've done. I've sinned against you and against heaven. And the father says, Shh, be quiet. And he calls for his servants to come and bring a ring, to bring sandals, to bring a robe, to kill the animal and have a feast. And he declares these words, My son was lost and now he's been found. He was dead to me and now he's alive. That's is worth celebrating. Totally unexpected. The son experiences a love and a grace that is profound. You see that thread that narrative that story runs through the entire Bible. It's that there is a God who gives us what we don't deserve. His unmerited favor and love it just runs through at the sniff at uh, the sound of someone who turns to God and says, "I've blown it no entitlement no expectation just the person who owns up who fesses up who says i've blown it jesus that turn elicits a response from god that is overwhelming and and just reeks through every little page of the bible and that's the promise for you You see, J.R. Tolkien, one of our great literary writers, Lord of the Rings, he said this, not all those who wander are lost. I wonder if you're here this morning and you've been wandering from God but you're not lost because you know that there's a God there but you can't believe that he might actually wash you clean Forgive you, second chances and third, because that's what he is like. Not that you're entitled to it, not that you should expect it, but that it's what comes when someone turns and says, I've blown it, I'm a sinner, I'm wrong, would you? And he runs and kisses and embraces, sets a ring, clothes, sandals on your feet. See, there's a powerful phrase that we need to absorb. It goes something like this. Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. You see, in following Jesus, it doesn't just stop there as though that's the end of the story. I'm entitled to his love. So, whatever I do now, I can do whatever I want. This question, what would Jesus do, is a living question. It's one that for anyone who's experienced the grace of God that they begin to think now because they've been transformed from the inside out. It's not opposed to us doing and making efforts now, but it's opposed to coming to God and saying, I've earned my rights. No, it works the other way. In fact, the powerful thing and the profound thing we learn from this is that that's the fuel of heaven itself. Last week, we looked at Lulu. Lulu. And we left her, when we we're asking this question, what would Jesus do in the land of plenty? We left us with a prayer. Jesus said, if you want to get it really answering that, what would I do? If, if Not that he said that, but he gave people who followed him a prayer that said something like this, may your kingdom come, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because someone who's encountered the life and love of Jesus, they start to, Change the way in which they think and their outlook, and they say, God, your life and your kingdom is what now you've called me to bring down here on earth. That's why I loved what Pete was saying this morning, because he's aligning his passions and this sense of calling and this sense of who Jesus is in with what he's passionate about doing, and that's fantastic. Not everyone has the privilege of that, but we can think and we can ask, God, how have you wired me? What's the dream that you give me about your kingdom? But the truth is with our narrative, we can rewire that kingdom in our own image. And so Jesus went on and said these words. He said, do you understand what my kingdom is about? My life is about eternal life, God he said these words, blessed are the poor in spirit. The kingdoms of the earth say that the poor in spirit are the weak, the ones that are the walking mats, the one that could be crushed and dismissed and pushed aside. But he comes out with this profound, blessed are the poor in spirit, not the proud in spirit, but the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are those who mourn, mourn over all the wrongs and mourn because Uh, 200 schoolgirls have been captured and taken away against their will. Mourn because there's violence on the street. Who mourn when they look around, they read the newspaper and they go, everything is not right in this world and it should be and I wish it was and I mourn for change. For they will be comforted one day. Blessed are the meek, not the weak, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what is right and good and pure for they will be filled one day blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy blessed are the pure in heart not the filthy in heart not the dirty in heart because that's what God's like blessed are the peacemakers not those who go out and repay evil for evil and perpetuate violence and violence that's next week for they will be called children of God and blessed are those who are persecuted because of what is right for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Some people like you and I might look at a list like this on a Mother's Day and go, wow, here's a whole new set of duties that I must do as a mum in order to be acceptable to God. And his answer back to us is, no, this isn't a new set of criteria to gauge myself, to have to earn my way to God. This is what God is like. And when you and I have experienced this overwhelming loving grace and mercy in our lives, something changes within our spirit and this begins to be our heartbeat because there's one day in a new heavens, and a new earth, you will see the fullness of God's kingdom of heaven lived out here on earth. But in the meantime, this is what I'm like. This is what I invite you to do in your schools, in your homes, in your workplaces, in the world, is pull down from my realm who I am into this world. What I want you to do in your workspace, in your school, in your community, in your neighbourhood, in your nation, is be someone who goes about affirming these things wherever it would be. Walk into your workspace and say, Jesus, what would you do in this particular place? And what can I affirm? Rather than being a follower of you that always says no to everything, what can I say yes to that's there already? for those who mourn for things that aren't right, for those who thirst for something to be done well, for those who are merciful when we could dismiss the person but we give them a second or third chance. Blessed are the... doesn't mean we wipe over things. It means that we look at it and we make choices. Blessed are those who try and conciliate in the, the workplace and at school and, because they're the people that are working and you can affirm those things wherever you see them and invite God to use your hands and mind and will to do the same. God, how can I affirm things and be a kingdom bringer, your life bringer? You see, surely this morning the question that this has got to do with in the land of plenty in the Australian dream is where is the good life to be found? Humakai, that's his book. He asked that question. We're searching for where is the good life to be found and Jesus unequivocally 2,000 years ago says this. Yeah, you can have all those trappings, but you can lose your soul along the way because you think it gives you life. You have to work harder for it. You have to cut something. You have to give something. You have to exchange something to get everything of the Australian dream. Sure, it's not wrong to have those things, but where's your heart? And he says, do you want to experience fully human life? Learn to be poor in spirit. Learn to mourn with me. Learn to be meek and gentle like Jesus was, but tell you what, He was bold and courageous like a lion. First for what's right. Be merciful just as he is. Ask him, how can I be pure in heart and make me a peacemaker when I want to clench my fists and shake them. God, would you use me to affirm the things around and join you in what you are doing. Pete's going to come right now and we're going to be invited to worship Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and that's brand new for you or you just want to listen and that's okay. You see people who have engaged with God and experienced this life running through them. They realise it can seem like an effort at times and what they need to do is be poured over once again in his loving mercy and his grace and realise it's something that comes from him in me that makes all the difference. What would Jesus do? He would invite us to start thinking like He does, even before we answer the questions. Because when we start in that place, then the dreams and the possibilities are limitless. Jen, why, if you are here this morning, be bold, take on the world, be ambitious. Frame it up in that narrative. If you're a Gen Xer, you will be twitched in between, strung out, doing everything. Pause for a minute. Jesus, what would you have me do with the next 30 years of my life? How can I bring your kingdom, your life, your fully human life here on earth now, in my workspace, in my neighborhood, in my school, Maybe you're here this morning and you have worked through the, the hard times in Australia's narrative and history. Thank you. But for you, what would it mean for you to pour out your prayers and to offer your hands and once again, not just say we worked in the past, but you work now. It's a sense of duty and love and respect for your God. Have a listen to these words and if you want engage with us,